Now, it's time for the Cybersecurity News Bite with Jim Guckin. Episode 8, February 20, 2022. TrickBot gets a new upgrade in targeting high-end websites. Emotet now spreading through malicious Excel files. Critical vulnerabilities in Zabbix web front-end. MFA fatigue attacks. Users tricked into allowing device access due to an overload of push notifications. Malicious actors are targeting 60 different high-profile companies utilizing our good old friend, the TrickBot Malware. Now, if you're not aware, TrickBot Malware was originally a banking trojan that's kind of evolved over time to become a wide-ranging credential-stealing and initial-access kind of software. It is also responsible for fetching second-stage binaries such as ransomware, so not only does it steal your information, it now has the ability to download stuff to, you know, encrypt your stuff. Now, we all know that uh, in October of 2020, there was a well-publicized law enforcement takedown of its infrastructure. And we all were like, ah, yes, better. Well, now it's back. Uh, And anyone who knows how this goes, usually if you don't kill it all, it comes back. So it's back now, sporting more than 20 different modules that can download and execute on demand. Now it's spreading via emails, and its latest campaign adds self-propagation via the external romance vulnerability. The external romance vulnerability, if you're not aware of it, is a SMB vulnerability that allows for remote code execution. Checkpoint Research discovered that brands include Amazon, American Express, J.P. Morgan Chase, Microsoft, Navy Federal Credit Union, PayPal, RBC, Yahoo, and others are being targeted by this new TrickBot attack. The goal is to attract high-profile victims to steal credentials and provide operators access to the portals with sensitive data where they can cause greater damage. Now, the variant that's being used in the campaign has also added three interesting modules and now a new de-obfuscation and anti-analysis approach researchers have added. So not only now is it stealing your credentials to these high-profile websites, it's making it sure that security researchers can't really look at it and the code's kind of there but hard to read. Now, these three new modules that they've added, one of them being Eject DLL, which is a web inject module. If you're not aware, web inject modules are well known for banking in the banking Trojan world. They present victims with an overlaid facsimile of the real banking logon site. So, for example, here, if you go into Amazon, what this uh, new module would do is kind of give you a fake Amazon for you to log into. So when the victim tries to log on this fake site, they steal their credentials and they can, you know, in the banking world, steal all your money out of your account and hopefully get some information out of these new sites for you. This uh, particular module was added web inject format from the infamous Zeus banking Trojan. It collects information from logon actions on the targeted sites and sends it all back to their command and control server. The payload injected into the banking site is a size smaller than the code readable, so it makes it hard to read. So, 
you know, and let me clarify that a little better. Um, so the code that is injected onto a website, now in, the, in this example, it's a banking website because I'm just more familiar with that's how it was spread, is made so small that it's unreadable. So that when a person goes to look for it, it's hard to see even there. Now, the second module that TrickBot has added is called Tab DLL. And it is a new development dynamic link library, which is DLL, also used to grab user credentials. Its ultimate goal is to spread the malware via network shares. Yay. So now, not only is the initial person infected, it can spread on a network uh, for your home network or a corporate network. Either way, it's going to find anything that has an open share and, and start moving to that. So that is a, a level dangerous there because now one person can infect, can be infected and then slowly spread it across a network. And it uses in this tab DLL uh, pretty much Mimicats to, to steal uh, any credentials it needs to move on. So this is very important. If, if a admin has logged into a box, then those admin credentials might be stolen via Mimicats. Now, the third of these new modules the TrickBot has that should be concerning is called PWGrabC, so password grab C. It does as it names pretty much suggests it is a catch-all credential stealer for various applications. Now, what they could find was the target applications were as follows, AnyConnect, Chrome, Chrome Beta, Edge, Edge Beta, FileZilla, Firefox, Git, Internet Explorer, KeePass, OpenSSH, OpenVPN, Outlook, uh, Putty, RDC Man, RDP, TeamViewer, VNC, and WinSCP. So it has really added a whole bunch of new tricks since its initial launch. And that should really be concerning for you. So you can see that, the, you know, originally it was just a simple banking Trojan. And now it has become, you know, what your typical malware is. Malware is a service, I would assume. They're going to lease this out to people uh, and you can encrypt, you can download other payloads. You can easily infiltrate a network with this kind of um, new tools that they're adding. And it should really concern you that it's it's still in active production. They're, they're still making changes. They're still adding things. And once it's affected, they can still update their own software to a newer version. So, I mean, if you're not updating your software and you're not having your security tools where they need to be, don't worry, they'll get to it. Now, from one malware to another, the famous Emotet malware has switched tactics yet again and is now using an email campaign to propagate itself through malicious Excel files. Emotet's a new attack uh, has uh, multiple stages with different file types, uh, obfuscated script, before even arriving at its final Emotet payload. The new attack vector, discovered on December 21st and still active, delivers an Excel file that includes a Excel 4.0 macro through what are practically social engineering type emails. When the macro is activated, it downloads and executes an HTML application that downloads two stages of PowerShell to retrieve and execute the final Emotet payload. 
Now, Emotet, once again, just like the previous one, started as a banking Trojan in 2014 and has continually evolved to become a full-service threat delivery mechanism. Just like the last one, just show you where these, where we're going with this. At one point, existing as a botnet that held more than 1.5 million machines under its control, um, it's, you know, still going big. It, it just, that may not be the full number at this point. But it said its goal was bank account takeover at the time and high value wire fraud and, and, and some ransomware attacks. Uh, in its heyday, Emotet was estimated causing between uh, around $2.5 billion in damage. And then Emotet, just like before, or just like our previous story, uh, appeared to be put out of commission by an international law enforcement collaborative takedown in January 2021. However, it resurfaced last November on the back of TrickBot and now continues to be a threat. Since its return, Emotet has used hijacking thread, uh, threat hijacking and other tactics as part of its novel attack method. The botnet uses stolen email data to create fake replies impersonating original senders. So you get an email that looks like a response to an email that you may have sent or something you may expect to receive. Now, I should say that the, the, the number one thing is you should be blocking Excel macros. You should, as an organization, that should be a number one thing that you do. As we said, the Emotet infection is using Excel macros. A lot of other ransomware uses macros. Uh, so now also I'll say in some cases, Emotet in this new attack has been using password protected zip files. And it also sends the email with the password uh, to the person to expect. Usually, I'm sure, using some kind of social engineering attack along the lines of, hey, you know, new announcement, um, valuable supplier, stuff like that, uh, that it's using to get people to try to click through it. So in the in the zip file, it, it, it's using the zip file to bypass security scans because it's encrypted with the password. Now, usually in the tactic is you get the file, you download it, you open it. It's kind of there, but kind of pieces are missing. It says, hey, to see the rest, please enable macros. So once that's done and you enable macros, it executes its code. It now retrieves what it needs to retrieve. It runs the codes that it needs to run. It talks to its command and control server. And well, then that's where the problems begin. Now, you might think it might be easy to block the URL it's going to reach out to, but hey, they thought of that. They have a bunch of URLs programmed into it and it will just keep hitting until it finds the one that it needs to find. And then once there, it executes its code. Uh, right now, uh, Emotet has about 14 URLs that it tries to reach out to. And then it finds uh, one that it can get out on and then starts doing the stuff, you know, that you don't want it to do. Now, the good part about this is Microsoft finally, which I honestly, I'll tell you this, as, as a security person, I thought Microsoft had already done. I've been at every company has automatically blocked macros and I had forgotten that it wasn't done by default. Every company is, has had it for forever. So what happens here is now Microsoft announced last week they're planning to disable all macros by default in some applications, acknowledging that, you know, it's one of the most popular ways to deliver malware. They said... Microsoft said, for the protection of our customers, we need to make it more difficult to enable macros in files obtained from the internet. The computing giant noted, VBA macros obtained from the internet will now be blocked by default. 
Now, three popular Office apps, Word, Excel, and PowerPoint, plus Access and Visio, are affected by the change. For macro files obtained on the internet, users will no longer be able to enable the content with the click of a button. The default is more secure and is expected to keep more users from accidentally, you know, clicking it. Um, so instead of just saying enable macros, users will be prompted with a learn more button that will take them to additional information before they can activate any macros in a document. I think this is way overdue. I think this is something that will be great. Um, and I think it will temporarily sidestep a lot of, well, malware. But in the end is, you know, I want to see if Microsoft does it for all the new versions. Is it all back versions? So, you know, one of these things, if you bought, you know, Word 2010 and you're still using it, and I know you laugh, but there are people who are still using it. You know, does this change go back to you or is it just newer versions? And if it's just newer versions that are currently being updated, then I think we'll still see a, a dip in, in malware utilizing it. But eventually, they're just going to move tactics to something else. But this just seems to be the easy way, and it's working right now for them. If you're using Zabbix web front-end, then you need to pay attention to this. There were two critical vulnerabilities found in the open-source monitoring platform that could allow an attacker to bypass authentication and execute arbitrary code on a target server. The security flaws were found in the Zabbix web front-end, a platform used to collect, centralize, and track metrics such as CPU load and network traffic across entire infrastructures. Now, this was all brought to our attention by SonarSource, who discovered the bugs and noted that Zabbix is a high-profile target for threat actors due to its popularity, its features, and its, quote, privileged position in most companies' networks. And this is what happens when we have tools like this if you just leave you know your security tools or any tool that has you know admin rights or higher than normal access across the network you really should put it behind a firewall and limit the traffic it can or cannot get because when they attack this is what they look for they look for a system like Zabbix that has access to all across your network and probably has the traffic unfiltered between the ports and then it attacks that and if it can get a foothold there it'll can move laterally across your network. So what are these vulnerabilities? Well, the first vulnerability tracked as CVE 2022-23131, which was given a severity of 9.1, is unsafe client-side session storage leading to authentication bypass instance takeover via Sabix front-end with configured SAML. So in the case of instances where SAML single sign-on authentication is enabled, which is not by default, Session data can be modified by a malicious actor because of a user login stored in the session that was not verified. A malicious unauthenticated actor could exploit this issue to escalate privileges and gain admin access to the Zabbix front end. Now, a caveat to this is to perform the attack, SAML authentication is required to be enabled and the assailant has to know the username of a Zabbix user. Or it can use the guest account, which, once again, is disabled by default. But if you turn it on, that's, that could be a problem. Now, the second vulnerability found by Sonar Source, tracked as CVE 2022-23134, is rated as a medium severity one and allows some steps of setup.php file to be reachable not only by the super administrators, but by unauthenticated users as well. well this, I can tell you, is not a good thing to have. 
uh, a malicious actor could pass step checks and potentially change the configuration of the Zabbix front end. So what do you do to protect against this? You know, one, always provide access to sensible services with extended inter internal access over VPN or restrict the IP ranges it can use. So if you have a, any, actually, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to say just a security thing. If you have any service that's using limit to what ports it can use, what networks it can talk to, that should be part of your plan every time in a network design structure. You know, if, if, if you don't need access to it, then, then don't give access to it. As always, I'm going to recommend you make sure that your file systems and your permissions are all hardened as much as possible. In this instance, because uh, the second one used a, a startup script, if you have a setup script that you use to launch any application, any application, once you are done, get rid of it. Because if they find it, one, it may have credentials in it. Uh, hopefully not, but it may have credentials in it. Or two, they might be able to rerun that script and start to change stuff like they did in this portion. Now, finally, if you're using Xabbix uh, front end, please make sure you update to 6.0.0 beta 2, uh, version 5.4.9, 5.0.19, or 4.0.37. They fixed the vulnerabilities in that versions, so having those updated versions will protect you. But once again, you should probably do some of the other stuff and make sure that your traffic is structured as safe as possible. And you only give access to what you need for any application. You can always change it later, but you know as restrictive as possible. Now, for our final story, uh, this goes to a thing I've talked about forever, which is MFA or two-factor authentication is great. And it's something that you should have, but it's not something you technically can rely upon to always stop an attack. So malicious hackers are targeting Office 365 users in a attack that has now been called MFA fatigue attacks, which bombards the victim with two-factor authentication push notifications to trick them into authenticating their login attempts. Uh, this is something that uh, when I was doing uh, two-factor authentication at my previous place, I had mentioned to people like, look, if you don't know, just click no and see if anything happens on your screen. And in fact, I use this tactic myself. Sometimes I've get I've gotten uh, multi-factor authentications for um, Microsoft accounts, and I'm like, ah, I'm not sure if this is, and I hit no, and then I'll see if I get a rejection or a, or a prompt in my in my communication. But a lot of users don't know about this attack, and uh, MFA fatigue is a real thing that malicious actors are using. They flood the authentication app with push notifications and hope that the user is just going to say, sure, yes. Now, of course, for this kind of attack to work, they have to have the username and password of the victim. And this is where we often go, well, this is where multi-factor comes in. You have your username, you have your password. That's fine. They still need the second factor. And there are ways of tricking that multi-factor in, but here's, here's one of them where they just keep hitting people with that same prompt over and over again or even randomly, and eventually the user probably will just click, yeah, that's me, and then here we go with the problem. Now, I do like the fact that some multi-factor things in their design is not just a yes-no question. I know Google has it, I know uh, Microsoft has it, where it not just prompts you with a yes-no, it also says, hey, we're showing you a number on the screen and you have to match that number too. 
And this is one way you can kind of combat that. But if it just says a yes, no, uh, approve or deny the, the login request, that's where this kind of attack comes in. So as I said, you have to have the username and password and they just want the user to make it go, all right, just go away. And these attacks are nothing new. Uh, they, they've been used for quite a while. Uh, in fact, uh, in 2021, there was a campaign by Russian operatives seen targeting 365 users with this push notification kind of attack. Research from Mandolin uh, detailed how threat actors were observed executing multiple authentication attempts in a short succession against accounts secured with MFA. In these cases, the threat actor had a valid username and password, and they just needed the person to click the accept on the phone application from the push notification. Or, you know, sometimes it's not even the application, it's the phone call. You know, some people who may not have smartphones rely on the phone call and then you press like one or some number combination to get access to it. So this is the tactic that we're going to see people go. And this is where, as security people, we need to think the next step down. Yes, MFA was great. So username and password, that was easy. The breaches showed that you could get those or in some places didn't have salted hashes for passwords and the passwords were easy to crack. So we added this, this second authentication. All right, now it's your phone. Now there are multiple things and anyone who tells you MFA itself is secure is lying to you. There are multiple ways you can look online. You can Google it and find the types of attacks that bypass or trick a user into MFA. I've seen one where, you know, the code you get is then put into the website, but the website isn't really there. It's some kind of fake website put or overlay on the website. You put the, they put the code in the code gets entered on the real website and then they have access to your to your stuff. So this is why MFA is a great step and it needs to be a necessary step, but it is not the end of you you can't just breathe. You can't go, "Woo, yeah, I got MFA, my my accounts are secure." Because just like prisoners in a prison, malicious actors are going to continue to figure out ways to trick users into this. And right now, this is a newer kind of attack. So a lot of users aren't thinking this they get the prompt, they just say, yeah, sure. Especially if it's during their work day. They're just going to say, yep, that's me. All right, fine, go ahead. And they have a hesitancy to click that decline. So make sure that when you're rolling MFA out, that you you know, tell your users, look, it's okay to say decline. The worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to have to re-log into the website and it's going to re-prompt you again. That's it. But clicking decline or deny should be the default method in people's head unless they absolutely know right now they are making a setting to do it. As it, I've had applications who, you know, I didn't know something in the background, you know, my Outlook uh, would all of a sudden go to re-authenticate in the background and then prompt it for me and I'd say no and then I'd get the, oh, you need to log in again. That should be the default way most users are. And this should be, if it's not, should start considering this into your security awareness plans for your end users. They should know, look, it's feel free to click no. In fact, I'd prefer you to click no than just say accept when you aren't sure. Because you never know who's on the other end of that. You've been listening to the Cybersecurity News Byte with Jim Guckin. Learn more about our show at cybersecuritynewsbyte.com. 